oh my Put me in coach, I'm ready to play fantasy I know I turned two in a day, but the laces ain't hot in my veins I can turn two in every way, so I turn to you two today And smash play, I'm prepared to listen The x flipping whip got me looking way past the pitches Statistics all that I know, and I know that who is on first He can say I'm ready to go <laughs> I ain't trying to steal second or third Cause I wanna win first How am I to put all of these numbers to words I know the terms from A to Z It's like a gift and a curse I know the difference between a splitter and a curve But if I can't put it in the points Man, then what's it worth? I need the truth I need knowledge Found this podcast with all of it But what they call it? Turn two Turn two, what it do? Win leaps Hey everybody, welcome back to the Turn 2 Podcast. We're continuing along our 30-team preview series with the New York Yankees, the evil empire themselves. Uh, with this episode, uh, following along with current events, it looks like we are pretty much staring maybe a 48-game season, depending on who you talk to, a little over 50-game season in the face. Sure, there's still time on the clock for something else to happen, but for our purposes, for your purposes, we're kind of going to focus our attention on it being somewhere in that vicinity. So... Uh, joining me on the show, of course, is John, MLB Moving Averages, the big Yankee fan himself. Wouldn't miss this one. John, what's up? I love the Yankees so much. <laughs> like, I love I love the New York Yankees. It is ingrained, like, in my blood. It's a family thing, man. I would not have missed this for the world. I'm the, But you know what's funny? I'm the worst kind of Yankee fan. I think a lot of people hate the Yankees, right? Because their fans are supposed to be like arrogant, like they're the best. And I'm like the worst among Yankee fans because I'm so <laughs> pessimistic. Like I always think they're trash, even when they win 100 games. No, you're the best kind of Yankee fan because you're like any other kind of fan where you're like really enthusiastic, but you know your team's flaws. The fans that I think most people don't like, especially in the Yankee fandom, is the bandwagon ones or the ones that own like, you know, a million hats in different colors just because like it's cool to like the Yankees. But that was more of a 90s thing. Oh, um, I, I remember Ricky Henderson and Rafael Santana. And I was there. You know, I was there. And in fact, the Yankees were so bad when I was a little guy in the 80s that my dad actually took me to a couple of, of Mets games because, you know, you know, at the time, even though we were a little young, those Mets teams were so exciting that 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 building was just on fire. It was electric whenever you went there. And then you'd go to Yankee Stadium at the time, and, dude, it was empty. You know, people went to see Donnie Baseball, but it was totally different. So, yeah, I hear you. And one more thing about my Yankee fandom before we go on is I like this team now because I don't, I didn't like the purchasing of players. Like, obviously, I love the late 90s squads, a lot of homegrown guys. You know, there's some free agents, which is fine. It's part of building a team. But I wasn't a fan of that early 2000 squad where they literally just tried to throw $250 million at the problem. Yeah, you guys have moved beyond that, right? I mean, Stanton and Garrett Cole, you don't do anything like that. They just kind of reemerged. <laughs> I, will, I will give you Cole. I actually thought Stanton was a little bit of like a smart kind of big ticket item, right? Because at the t he was averaging like in the mid-20s. And I remember reading that they thought they were getting a steal because his open market value was probably like 25% higher. Now, they haven't gotten much out of him because he's always hurt, and I guess we'll get to that. But, but yeah, let's go Yankees. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, we said earlier we um... – yeah, we're going to we're going to be basing a lot of our analysis on it being a very short season. So that does change things quite a bit uh, for a few different players. But uh, like usual, we'll be using roster resource, which, by the way, we talked about this before the show. I don't know what's going on with roster resource on fan graphs, at least today. Maybe it's just a, a, a today thing or uh, I don't know what's going on, but 
Uh, if you are following along, they have the lineup looking very weird at first glance. They have like Stanton leading off, Voigt batting second, Glaber batting ninth. And it's basically just out of order. If you look on the left-hand side, they actually have the batting order, the actual number, uh, with DJ LeMayhew batting lead off and so forth. So if you are following along like some people do um, – yeah, that uh, roster resource. Uh, don't look on there and, and see them having Garrett Cole as the fourth starter and think they've lost their minds. They just, things are just out of order. Yeah, so, they were trolling us, Matt. I, part of me was hoping that they were following along with the series, and they were like, ooh, the Yankees were up next. I got something for those guys. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so heading right in, jumping right into the lineup, leading off is DJ LeMayhew, which is someone that, um, you know, I, I always keep an open mind about all players. You always have a uh, in when you start research for someone, if you're about to go in, you always have like a uh, judging a book by its cover situation where, you know, their stats, you know, their situation and you have an assumption of how you think the research is going to turn out. When I was among a lot of people, even probably you included when DJ left Colorado to go to New York, you were probably thinking, okay, well, this probably won't go great. Um, like you were expecting certain things. He was the, you know, he had certain things in his metrics, but he had always had a high Babbitt player leaving Coors Field. Things were probably going to be on the downturn, at least in some fashion. Uh, that didn't work out that way at all. He, uh, you know, obviously had a fantastic year last year, borderline MVP, 327, 375 on base, 518 slugging with 26 home runs, 109 runs, 102 RBIs. Um, so, I was very confused when going in because he still had a very high BABIP. So I'm like, all right, how did that carry over? What kind of luck was involved here? And I did one of my entire player breakdowns on LeMayhew, and I pretty much came away just thinking, holy crap, you know, I was wrong. Uh, everything here looks very good. Elite exit velocity in like the 90th percentile hard contact. Um, he has some weird stuff in there, like his fly ball percentage is only 26.2. His ground ball percentage is 50.2. And he only pulls the ball 27.9% of the time. Not everything you'd want to see uh, out of someone generating like power, but you know, he's one of those guys that was built for Yankee stadium. He takes advantage of the porches he has. He goes to all fields, which allows his BABIP to remain high and his batting average to remain high. And even though that 50.2% ground ball rate really jumped off the page, uh, it shocked me that um, in 11 professional seasons, 50.2 is actually only the third lowest of his entire career. <laughs> That's always where he lives. So, um, yeah, he's he's just uh, he's just a very interesting thing. The simple answer uh, for him, you know, he just plain hits the ball really hard. Hard contact, five point two percent above his career high, and a three year decrease in weak contact. Um, so, you know, he expected batting average was in the top one percent of the league, three twenty two. Uh, everything you see here, uh, it, as far as metrically, is backed up, and everything he did looks very legit. He's just Someone that left a great field in cores, um, which is a pretty much a good field for everyone. And he just happened to be traded uh, or he, he was sent over to a, uh, you know, another team that was perfect for his swing. Yeah, I think he was he was probably pretty glad to get out of there and show people that, you know, that that kind of spun narrative. It, it's just not law. Um, I, I wish I could have say I foresaw it before the Yankee acquisition. I did not. I had no shares, and if if I recall properly, going into last year, it was kind of an afterthought. I wasn't even right. He was thought to maybe be part of a, like a rotation. Then, of course, the Yankees had more injuries than I think we could list here in an hour. But Matt, you really wrapped it up, and you know, not to just throw too many flowers at you, but if anyone hasn't seen 
Matt's uh, player breakdown on LeMayu, it, it's it's going to just do it all. I mean, they're all really good. But LeMayu's is particularly interesting because, again, like Matt's saying, you have you know, you kind of had question marks. They didn't know if they could hold. And, and I think we have our answer. I mean, the, the guy's a legitimate professional hitter. The one thing I would say as far as expectations, Matt was kind of alluding to it, is I, I'd probably be careful with my power expectation on him. You know, prior to last year's 26, he never had more than 15 I'm probably more in line with his 162 production with the all the major projection systems have him more of like an 18 to 20 guy, which I think is fair. I don't think we're getting 26 again. I've heard some people say they even think he could build off that. That's where I'm drawing the line. I think the average is there, and I think all the counting stats are going to be there absolutely in abundance. You know, if you were getting a full season, I think 200 ribbies and runs is a, is a given. So if you're going to tack in a guy that's a good for a 300 hitter, you're going to return profit. Unless there's somebody who likes him a lot more than you do. I mean, I don't know. ADPs are such a flawed tool at this point, but I don't want to ignore them because they should give you an idea of some, you know, possible extreme movements. And LeMahieu does exactly that. Even in most recent searches, LeMahieu has a min pick of 16. That is absurd. You're going to do way better than that almost anywhere you look offensively. He has a max pick of 108. That's also absurd to the other side. I don't think you can let LeMahieu get past, let's say, pick, man, even like 70. I think once he's at 70 or 75, I think you got to snatch him up, especially when you consider the position eligibility, you should be able to deploy him somewhere. Yeah, in a, in a short season, absolutely love him. I mean, all of his I, – I talk about using expected stats in a way that makes sense. Um with him, you you look at his data and you're thinking that maybe he outperformed his expected stats. He actually he actually fell below expectations almost everywhere. Uh, expected batting average, uh, 327 versus his 322 actual. X slugging, 529 versus his 518 actual. Uh, his WOBA is ex-WOBA, ex-WOBA con. X-barrel is still 8.3 compared to his 7.5 actual. He actually has growth across the board in his expected stats, which is interesting. And like you said, um, you said over a full season, 100-100 for runs and RBIs seems like a given. If you want to throw water on the power, that's okay. He still is in Yankee Stadium. I think it'll live there. But uh, in a shortened season um, where you, you know, steals and home runs could come in bunches or cold, <laughs> cold streaks, he is someone who could threaten for the batting title and lead the league in runs scored. And that doesn't really change as long as he's healthy. Uh, this this lineup is going to score runs, and he's going to hit at the top of it. So he's a dangerous guy who uh, has a lot of position eligibility. So, yeah, love Deji. 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 DJ LeMayhew. Uh, and is, you know, again, uh, unbelievable play discipline just across the board. He's just a really freaking good hitter. So uh, batting second on this juggernaut offense yeah. is, uh, is, is Mr. Aaron Judge, who – in the beginning of the offseason, I was I was pretty I was one of the guys that were pretty much off of him and Stanton. I, I was I always drew the comparison where why would I pay for Judge when I can have Stanton for cheaper? Where they're essentially the same person, but Stanton seems to have fluky injuries, whereas Judge actually seems to have more of a chronic problem. Um, but again, there's been plenty of time for them to heal. There's still plenty of time for them to get injured again. But uh, Aaron Judge is obviously one of those guys where. We've talked about guys like Miguel Sano, Jordan Alvarez, who hit the ball hard. And there's only one guy who hits the ball harder, and that's Aaron Judge. He quite literally hits the ball harder than anyone in Major League Ball. So he's obviously a threat to lead the league in home runs. But, you know, plenty of people are in a short season. So given his – let's just assume health. It's very hard to do for a guy like that. But you're if you're drafting newer, you are only already own him. 
you know, he only has to stay healthy for so many games. How are you feeling about Aaron judge in a shortened season? Because for, I, I did a whole th- I think I, I already posted this on Twitter. I did a whole study for people that give you power and no speed, you know, guys like Joey Gallo, um, you know, guys like uh, Framel Reyes, Pete Alonzo, Aaron judge. There's a lot of people in that category. And I tend to think in a shortened season, any of those guys that are uh, towards the front of the draft uh, are going to not give you, not return value in all likelihood. Um, you know, he, Aaron judge could certainly hit 30 home runs in a month. It could happen. Uh, but you know, it's, it's, it's coin flippy. And in terms of process, I, I tend to think that if I were drafting from scratch, I would be avoiding high power, no steel guys early in the draft because of the, uh, of just the, you know, the volatile nature of the stat. Matt, it all makes a lot of sense, and um, you can hear my voice. I'm just dejected because I feel like I put the curse on this guy when I had my baby son born. One of the first things I did, I decorated the nurseries, all Yankees everywhere. Got a big, beautiful, framed Aaron Judge picture right over the crib, and you know he hasn't swung a bat since. And it's really sad because he really has – I mean, it's all the potential in the world. I mean, the ceiling is MVP. Um, the power is more than legit, and it's funny. I think people kind of – People kind of even gave him a hard time, you know, like, so last year, I remember I had tweeted this out early in the draft season, like probably around like Christmas time. And it was people giving Aaron Judge a hard time for the season ahead. And I didn't understand. So I had put a spotlight on his letdown. So in Aaron Judge's letdown season last year, his 141 WRC plus was in the 95th percentile. His 53.8% hard hit rate was number one overall, as you said. His 580 X slug was 98th percentile. His 401 expected WOBA was 98th percentile, and his WOP percentage at 14 threes in the 95th percentile. My so favorite the, one is his uh, exit velocity on fly balls and line drives was like 99.5 miles per hour. He is an absolute beast. There is z- I have no question about the ability of this young man, and he's an excellent defender, man. He, I don't know why, because maybe people just see the size – and, man, you know what? Forget the defense. His size actually works against him with the K rate. You know, people have talked about his zone always shifting. And this guy still has overcome all that now to the bad. You know, the bad is the cost because of the injury. Oh, man, you know, when you're talking about these kind of uh, these core injuries, right? So when I see a power hitter that has rib, oblique, or lower back, huge red flag. And it's reflected even in the progress. You know, the last update we've gotten was probably just short of a month ago, and he's yet to resume swinging a bat. So there's zero chance that I'm going to pay any kind of premium for Judge. Again, going back to those Floyd ADPs, he has a max of 177. I mean, (laughs) man, boy, is that tempting. But again, you know, the, the clock is running out on when this guy can even get on the field and perform. Matt, I'll agree, he can hit. X amount of home runs in in 30 games, you know? And if you were to say any number at 30 or below, I believe you. I guess the main problem is in a short season, again, just 50 games. Uh, if you if you had to like, if someone was like, all right, we're going to give you Aaron Judge versus Schwarber, whoever has the best 50 game stretch wins, you can't actually say you're not going to be sweating that out. And that's the whole problem. Yeah, exactly. You got it. You're 100% right. You know, the counting stats might be a little more in Judge's favor, but so what? You know, the uh, it's for me, it's basically a non-starter at this point. It breaks my heart. I, I'd love to make some kind of argument for where there's even value. 
And there might be if we were looking at 162. But without 162, I think you have to hard pass on Judge all the way. Uh, batting third is Glaber Torres, which unfortunately for me, he falls in almost literally the same boat as Judge uh, for for different reasons, though. I mean, Judge obviously has a little bit of an injury history. Glaber Torres, unfortunately, happens to be batting in one of the most, the deepest positions in all of fantasy baseball. And he brings you no speed. Well, I shouldn't say no. There's a difference between no and what he gives you. He will, you know, over a full season, he'll give you five or six. But again, in a shortened season, that could be two. <laughs> so we could go ahead and maybe call it nothing. He uh, He's not a guy that you'll be getting a, a big difference maker from. But in a shortened season, I will say it's important to grab guys. Uh, it's, 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 it's a very important thing to have a guy who can even contribute a couple over zero because, you know, zero is a zero and a couple adds up. Yeah. Uh, but you know, Glaber had an unbelievable year last year, about a 278, 38 home runs, 96 runs, 90 RBIs. The problem being that in, you know, most of those, most of that data seems to suggest that, uh, you know, that is probably his career high. I'm not saying, you know, I mean, he's, you know, only 24 years old. He probably was looking at a few more years, very similar to last, year. but in fantasy baseball, again, in a shortened season, it, it's kind of very replaceable in terms of, Maybe not at shortstop. The power, you know, 38 home runs is something, but same exact study I did with the the 50 game stretches. The best one I, I mentioned even on the Mets. Um, in a 50 game stretch, Glaber Torres, the best that he uh, managed over 50 games in average was 322. Framel Reyes, 329. Minimum average over 50 games, Torres dipped down to 210. Framel Reyes, 226. The max home runs for each was 19. The minimum home runs over 50 games for Torres was six Fran mill was seven. That's just one example. But again, there's a lot of other guys very similar to that. Chris Davis max, um, you know, was three Oh one. His min was one sixty seven, but his max home runs was 21. So if, again, if you're looking for power, there's a lot cheaper ways to do it. Uh, his batting average is not going to separate him a lot from people at two seventy eight. And again, in a shortened season, who knows we saw where his min and max was. So if anyone that's bringing you only power, um, it's it's hard to pay up in a shortened season. Uh, even though he'll be batting third for the Yankees, which should give you a very nice floor, you know, that which is you know nice. He gives you a high level floor, which in itself is is definitely a direction you could go and maybe take some dart throws later. So I know people could be going that direction, but at shortstop, a position where you can easily get some speed from, I'd probably prefer to get speed from this uh, from this position. Yeah, I, I listen. I love Torres. He's a fantastic player, and I think last year, if anything, probably served as the confirmation. You know, he gave us what maybe 484 plate appearances in 2018, and he was really good. And if you look at his 2019, on top of that 2018, a lot of the skill set really stayed very consistent. So I think that's you know that's the plus mark for him is what you got. I think is what you're going to get, and I think there's even a little more room to improve. That being said, Matt, you're, the rest of the arguments you're making about categories are my own, you know, and for where he's going, I, I, I just can't land with him as my second baseman. You know, we've talked extensively about all the other second basemen. I would just rather have Albies. You know, I'd probably also rather have Keto Marte because going back to what you were saying about the steals, and you are right, Torres's non-zero contribution is very important. My counter to that is, Every steal is like going to be so critical that I feel like in a 48 game season, even if we were to go to 80 games, it almost seems like a guarantee that let's say the difference of three stolen bases will be multiple, if not like several slots in the categories. You know, like I could see 
three steals being four spots in the categories at the end. Because, you know, listen, I didn't even reinvent the wheel there. That kind of happens in a 162-game season. So as we shorten it, I'm I'm probably going to be stressing steals. But, yeah, Torres offers a lot in the category. So I, I think the price is justifiable. I've just gone a different direction. Yeah. I I think that's why it's big on um, trying to avoid people to give you zero in a category. I think I said that about stolen bases because you yeah. said every little bit does add up. The, the main thing you said about like second base, this is the, this is the thing for shortened season and how this makes this thing a completely different animal. I mentioned these were the min max for Glaber max uh, average in min was three twenty two and two ten, Um, and his max home runs over 50 games was 19 and uh, minimum was six. Here's the problem. There's a player that has hit over 30 home runs in the last three out of the last four years. His max batting average was 271. His min was 204. Ooh. Except, again, but the power. Uh, oh, by the way, those uh, stolen bases, though, you're getting between like 15 and 20 instead. Uh, that is a big deal. Also yeah. hitting at the top, maybe at the top of a lineup. So the the problem is Glaber, you're going to have to draft in like the third round, whereas this other person is being in 12 teams, maybe undrafted in 15 teams, you know, at the, you know, very tail end of the draft for anyone who's not following along. I'm talking about rough note door. Wow. <laughs> um, again, I'm not saying that you you're replacing the either. I'm just saying in a short season, uh, if, if Glaber happens to hit on the lower end of his batting average spectrum and Odor isn't, you know, at the very bottom of his, there's not a ton separating them. Except one's giving you a lot of one's giving you a lot more speed, um, so that's kind of the issue. It's just something for you to think about. I'm not telling you to skip Glaber and go with Odor. It's just very you know one guy who was like you know MVP consideration, one guy who people think should be cut. <laughs> you know this is fantasy baseball, not real baseball. Um, it's it's just uh, something you have to think about because Odor. I don't think anyone could argue that is open minded. That is out of the question that Odor in a shortened season couldn't have an amazing season in fantasy that could actually outproduce Glaber Torres. We're not saying it will happen, but for the price difference, it's, it's certainly interesting to think about any, 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 any interesting thoughts on, on, on any of those, like, you know, back end players. Like that? I agree with everything. I just started thinking about all the Yankee injuries. I was looking forward to and I'm like, you think about all these great pieces and how little the Yankees might get from them and how a shortened season really hurts these guys, you know, uh, to wrap up on Torres, it's tough that the the basket of contributions that he offers doesn't really lend itself to a short season, you know, so it becomes hard to draft that guy, you know, and you're kind of being generous. You said the third round it's, it's early third, late second. And I just can't spend that capital. Uh, batting cleanup for the team is Giancarlo Sten, who in a, in a full season, I was um, especially when the season got delayed, he was someone I was, I was interested in loading up on because I thought we'd be starting a little earlier and having, somewhat you know at least like 120 games or 100 games in 50 games it's it, he kind of gets thrown into the same boat broken record it, it's the same thing i mean in 2017 though he had 59 home runs and if he's someone who somehow gets discounted in your league i could take a shot here i really could because i think that his uh tag is being injury prone is a little unfair where some of them aren't related um some you know you're only injury injury prone until you're not but um Kind of the same thing here. I mean, if I have to pay up for Stanton and later I can get Jorge Soler, uh, you know, and I can invest in someone else here, I, I may go that direction. But he's cleaning up for the Yankees, a very good lineup. So he's the first guy of, you know, between Judge and um, and Glaber. I'm more likely to have landed on Stanton merely because he's the cheapest. 
Yeah, I mean, I like Stanton a lot. I think the uh, I think the the hiatus definitely helped him, right? So it's going to help him as far as health. But I also think it helps his prospect of going the distance because of what you're saying, Matt. It's not you know they're not reoccurring injuries, and I'm not about to start predicting who's going to get hit on the hand or the face or the chin with a baseball, you know. So a guy like Stanton, where he's going is a league winner. <laughs> I'll go again to the broken ADP metrics. His min of 21 again, I would call absurd because. I'd probably rather have JD Martinez there if we go apples to apples. I think they're, you know, he's a little more solid for the for the uh, contributions we're expecting. And his max is 170. I cannot imagine a world where Stanton would go at 170. I think, man, once you're outside the top 50, he becomes a pure bargain because he has first round talent return written all over him. There's not, I'm not even sure where the argument is. One of the best power hitters in the game. Yeah, um, yeah, it, it, it's just. Yeah, it's just weird with the nose. It's it's weird. I'm scratching my beard here. Like I don't. The guy does is not down with a knee or anything. You know what I mean? Yeah, I can't explain a 170. Yeah, I I the only thing is I don't I don't see him going at once. I don't actually understand where you're pulling that data from because I've not seen him go anywhere near 170. Yeah, me neither. And maybe that's drawing up the ADP I'm seeing at 65. I mean, I'm using NF. I'm using NFBC. I mean, you know what? I actually forgot to adjust, but that shouldn't that shouldn't hurt because I guess. I mean, when you say 60, I think that is more in line of where he's going to go. I would not bank on I, him breaking anywhere near even no, past no, I 80. Up, I actually moved it up to March, and uh, that 170 max is still there. Um, the mid move to 27, which doesn't bother me, and the ADP. Well, when you first, well, I think max with him you have to ignore, especially early in the offseason. Yeah, when he first got injured. I, I think you're – well, that's what I mean. I, I went to March where he's been fine, but uh, that, that's fine. I'm willing to concede all of that. that that's fine. You could even – I'll walk all that back. I don't really care. Um I still am going to stick with once we're beyond like pick 50, 55, 60, he's got to go. You got to snatch this guy up, you know, because if you were going to make that kind of Schwarber comp before, like there, I want, you know, I want Stanton at 65 or 70 more than I want Schwarber at whatever, 110 or whatever. He's going. Uh, the next in the lineup is Gary Sanchez, who I'm not sure where I'm landing on in a shortened season. In, in general, I'm not sure where I'm landing on catchers. It's probably where I usually am, where I'm just avoiding it like the plague. Gary Sanchez is one of the very few people that are interesting. Uh, JT Romuto does play every day and he gives you some speed. So he still remains the top guy. Gary Sanchez with the DH available um, would typically get, you know, some more leeway because they can try to keep his bat in the lineup. But because of the injuries with Judge and Stan, uh, we don't even know if uh, those bats will necessarily go to Gary or if he'll just get extra days off. So that's a big deal. But you look at some of his months last year. I mean, in May, he had 286 with nine home runs. In August, he had 261 with eight home runs. And then, you know, in, all, in July, he hit 102 with one home run. Um, so you, you don't know what you're necessarily going to get, but uh, he is certainly someone where in a 50-game set, if he happens to be able to crank out a 250 average, uh, and give you that upper end power. He could be a league winner for you at a you know at a, at a somewhat shallow position. But so could so many other guys. Will Smith, Omar Narvaez. We we mentioned how you know they, um, you know they they noticed that he was uh, you know had a lot of pull side power. They were going to try to go the route of you know uh, Mitch Garver with him and try to get him to elevate and pull the ball in Milwaukee. He could have a hot fifty game. So. In general, same as the other guys, no speed. I will be avoiding Gary Sanchez. You really do have to pay up for him, and it, it's just not worth it uh, because he doesn't have a clear advantage in 50 games. He just has a potential one. 
Yeah, I, I Sanchez is is an absolute no go for me. In fact, I'm so I'm probably so anti Sanchez at the point. That's one of those picks when somebody makes it, I do like the fist pump because you just took somebody I have zero interest in. You know, increasing the odds, I'll get one of my guys. I one, I'm not paying up for catchers. Two, I'm particularly not paying up for catchers with a you know with a a floor of being a complete sinkhole. You know, he has shown us at points he disappears at the plate. I don't know if he's tinkering. But, you know, we're talking his last, let's say, 1,000 plate appearances. He's hitting right at or below the Mendoza line. So I'm not interested in that. I, especially, I, I can't even really understand the counter. The counter is kind of chasing power. And we've covered that ad nauseum where, you know, I'm going to find that much later on, even in catchers. And if we're going to talk about price, I obviously want Jason Castro. Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> uh, batting next in the lineup is Brett Gardner, who I think – Besides LeMahieu is the guy I'm most excited about owning in a short season, believe it or not. Everyone wow. else is scratching their head. He, last year he batted 251 with 28 home runs. Don't worry. I'm not thinking that's in any way totally legitimate. But this guy, in every year of his career where he's played full-time, he's had at least 80 runs and 10 steals every year. Yeah. And if you kind of look at this Yankee lineup, they're lacking something. It's left-handers, and he is one. He will not be platooning. He will be out there every day in center field. Uh, you know, they finally got rid of some albatross uh, contracts and he, he kind of will have the run of it and probably be batting right in the center of this lineup. And if there's injuries, which, you know, let's be honest, they'll probably be at least one. <laughs> uh, he, he could bat even higher. So in a shortened season, he's a guy who will give you some not a horrible average. He'll give you speed. He'll give you power and a ton of counting stats in a phenomenal lineup. So for a guy who's going for basically free in a shortened season where at bats are a premium and he's in the middle of a lineup, the get of a ton of at bats just by turning the lineup over. I actually love Brett Gardner. Uh, I think he's, you know, he's, he's not that injury. You know, he's actually one of the healthier guys on the team. If you want to say that, especially being, I don't know, 36 years old, but uh, yeah, in this shortened year, I, uh, I wasn't that interested in uh, season long, but in a shortened year, he's someone I'm actually putting a circle around. I mean, I could see it. It's not, you know, it's not. It's it's a cost thing too. He cost up. Yeah, I guess I believe. I'm, I was looking at it myself, and I'm wondering why I really don't have. I really don't have any Gardner, even considering well, I I do have a lot of late Yankees. And yeah, I think it's probably just a personal preference. I'm I'm looking at it now, and there's a couple other young outfielders I like a little bit more. I know I've been. I've been drafting Grisham and Yastrzemski over over Gardner, hoping for probably a lot of the same of what you're just describing. But with Judge kind of out of the way and Mabin is gone, I think you're absolutely right about the playing time. So if if playing time is a thing, you know, and remember too, the Yankees have slotted him at the top of that lineup. Like they're they're really not, you know, they're, they're not afraid of letting him set the table for them. Hey, if there's an injury, he bats he bats second, first or second for sure, especially being the only lefty really that's going to be consistently in that line. Last year, here's something a lot of people probably wouldn't know. Just from thinking his most plate appearances were at the leadoff spot. You know, so just to give you an idea that in those days, again, you know, Matt, you bring up the left hand is an important thing. If there's a, a righty on the hill that they're gonna they're gonna want him leading off, and he's he's probably going to. So, and you mentioned those guys later, like Grisham and Yuskremski. Um, like, they're very interesting players. The Giants are obviously not going to have a ton of at-bats, even though he'll be at the top of the lineup. Uh, Grisham, I'm not even totally sold on him. I, I understand the excitement and how his pedigree in the minor leagues, too. And uh, I, I get why people are taking him. I guess I, uh, I think there's value in boring. And I think that, you know, I think he's at minimum, he's someone that people are forgetting about. 
even in their draft queue, where I think you just need to pay attention to his existence. Yeah, he and, falls very far too. Like there, there are times where he's he's gone beyond three hundred, and I think at that point uh, he's he's going to return. He's going to return a profit if he stays healthy after the three hundredth pick. I feel like that's almost a certainty. Uh, batting seventh in the lineup, they have uh, Luke Voigt, who is uh he's a very popular target for people giving how shallow first base is once you once you get past the carlos santana edwin encarnacion range it kind of falls off a cliff um as as far as proven like track record guys and then and then you get into the the tier of the luke voigts where you can kind of pick your poison a lot of people like evan white um but void is probably towards the top of that list for everybody he last year in 510 plate appearances he batted 263 with 21 home runs um my only question here especially in a short season other than the obvious uh we've seen them wheel people out at first base before they were supposed to be the next big thing only to not happen (laughs) There's yeah. been a few through the years. Uh, they just it just never comes through. I'm, I'm not saying I doubted Luke Voigt. I have some shares, uh, but again, no tr- no real track record in the majors to speak of that uh, is long. Uh, he has definitely shown the ability to hit the ball hard. But there is um, there is the Miguel Andujar problem where uh, they've they've said the you know the manager has come out and said that that uh, Geo. Urshela has that third base job. It's his to lose. We know how bad of a fielder that Andujar has. And they said they were going to give him a shot in the outfield and first base. Obviously, uh, center field is not a place for 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 him. Uh, he said Brett Gardner will have that locked down. So that leaves the corner spots. And that is, you know, Toshman and Aaron Judge. Or um, so if he's, you know, if he's going to platoon with Toshman, you know, that's righty lefty. Uh, where you know he's not going to get that many at bats versus uh, right-handed batters, and then Luke Voigt is a righty himself. So where does that leave Luke Voigt in terms of at bats? He's already batting seventh, which again in a lineup like this is not that bad. Even in a short season, he'll get ton of ton of at bats. But the question in a short season is Andujar is a, a legitimate bat. Um, so where do we think he'll fit in defensively? The easiest place to to hide him is at first base, which is actually the thing that worries me about Luke Voigt, where I think that even if Luke is hitting, they're going to try to get this other guy in the lineup. And in a short season that that could be just enough of a thorn in the side to ruin someone's fantasy value. I, I, I don't think so. And it's because my Yankees are always so injured, you know, like right now there's, it's not a concern because judge is not going to be playing American baseball, at least right now. So all those pieces get slotted. In that case, either Andahar gets his shot in the outfield or Stanton goes out the left and Andahar is going to DH. Maybe those guys flip-flop depending on who's looking spry that day. (laughs) Um, Voight, I feel very strongly about Voight. He is possibly my most owned player, which really says a lot because I have a ton of leagues. Um, He's not a platoon guy. You know, uh, career versus lefties, 275. Career versus righties, 272. You know, he's very much a balanced hitter. I think the Yankees got a steal from the Cardinals. He leveled up. He was awesome in the back end of that season. And I was hiring him last year, and he was very good. Luke Voigt this year reminds me of Chris Davis with a K. And why is that? And it's because it's an awesome hitter that got injured, ended up with a tale of two seasons that I believe is being overlooked. So let's look at Voigt before that injury. The injury happened on June 29th. About 350 PAs. He had 17 homers, 103 rivers and runs, 283, 93, 509 triple slash. That was a 229 ISO, 381 WOBA, 140 WRC plus. Those are 
excellent numbers. 467 Wobacon, 472 expected Wobacon with a nearly 14% barrel rate. He was doing exactly what I was hoping he was going to do, which was pick up right where he left off, anchoring the Yankees at first base, playing every single day, and he was hitting in the front of the lineup. After he got hurt, there were 161 PAs, four homers, 30 ribbies in a 228, 348, 368 triple slash, 140 ISO, 315 WOBA, 95 WRC+. A huge and precipitous drop-off. He did not come back. My boy Luke is healthy now. The discount, I think, is absurd. I, I, I just firmly believe people have not picked up on the injury splits, which to me are very important because, Matt, this is something that you talk about that I totally adhere to, which is if a guy's supposed to be really good, and then he's really good. I think he's going to be really good. You know, injuries are something that hurt that. And a guy that kind of forces, you know, a lot of times we want them to man up and get out there and tough it out. And then we complain when they don't produce at 100%. So I think Luke Voigt is the perfect example of that. I mean, I think he plays every single day and is awesome. And he is the benefactor if there is an injury at the top of the lineup. So I could not be more bullish on Voight. If It's impossible. It is impossible. He's going like at 180 or so. I have him everywhere. I'm even confident with him as my first baseman, not just CI. I think if Voight is your CI, that's a league winner. And he's allowed me to be really creative in other spots. I uh, I love the enthusiasm. <laughs> I love Luke Voigt, man. Oh, I love Voigt. You know what? And again, it kind of goes back to what I was saying when we opened up, which is, man, I'm like a true Yankee fan. Like, I like to see teams succeed through wit, you know, and positive moves, which is why, even though they are a division rival, I have so much love for the Tampa Bay Rays for that reason. Like, they're crafty. They identify player talent and make adjustments, and I love that. So to me, Voigt really – Void is a reflection of the best parts of the Yankee front office that aren't just saying we're going to sign checks, you know, <laughs> because I think that's, listen, it works. And I, listen, I even, not to be a homer, I think the Cole move is the one place that you do it. You know, they were in desperate need of an ace. You have a young guy, he's a true ace, you know, and you go get him. Maybe, you know, I don't like the lengths of these contracts. That's another story for another day, but that's where you deploy all the big bucks. And I think, what they've done with the rest of this lineup, man, it's really creative, you know, and there's a lot to like, a lot of really likable kind of young guys. And um, yeah, speaking of young, likable uh, hitters here, this is the most annoying player in the lineup for me and why I want Miguel Andujar <laughs> traded. Please trade him. Uh, Mike Tauschman. Oh, my God. It's oh, Wait, I got to correct you for our boy, Alex. It's Talkman. 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 Yep. I have, I have the freaking, uh, the, I have the pronunciation guide. I need to study it. I need to pull it. I tried pulling it up. I couldn't find the link. Sometimes Twitter, you like erases stuff. It's very annoying in chat rooms, but, uh, Talkman, this guy, you know, shockingly was underused by the Rockies, uh, system. I know that's hard to hear for everybody, but the Rockies had some talent that they squandered away and then traded to the Yankees for pretty much nothing. Uh, this guy is so interesting because I mean, you look at him out there and you think that maybe he's just this lumbering uh, power hitter, but this guy has stolen over 20 bases three times in the minors uh, in uh, 2016, 2017, AAA stole 23 and then 16 bases before that he had stolen over 20 a couple times before He's got some speed too. And, uh, you know, he's got a, a decent walk rate uh, since in 2017 and limited at bats in Colorado, 15.6 walk rate in 2018, 10.8. And with the Yankees last year, 11.5. So he's someone that can get on base, hits the ball very hard. 
and uh, gives you some, some nice power and speed. You know how I love the to kill people with the death by a thousand paper cuts, and this guy was is definitely someone who could fit the bill. I don't want him platooning with Miguel Andujar, and I think that's what's going to happen. And it makes me so sad. Um, I will be taking. I have shares of him. But in a shortened season, if I'm redrafting, I'm probably going to avoid the situation altogether. Uh, at bats are, like we said, at bats are really, really at a premium, and they're already at the bottom of the lineup. Again, we already said it's the Yankee lineup, so maybe it doesn't matter. It's not the same as batting at the bottom of you know the Royals or at the bottom of the Orioles. But you still are at the very bottom of this lineup, and uh, that's not the place to be when you're in a platoon, uh, even on the strong side of one. So, you know, what do you think of both these guys, Talkman and Andujar? They're, if they were, if they had everyday bats in a shortened season, they were they are phenomenal offensive weapons. But in a platoon, strong side or not, uh, it's it's annoying. Yeah, I'm just not really seeing the platoon that you're seeing, man. Because again, the Yankees are so injured. Like I'm not. Well, I mean, it's hard to ba- it's hard to bank. On an injury. What do you mean? Aaron Judge is already out. If if we play baseball tomorrow, Aaron Judge is not playing. I he's think Aaron, even, I think Aaron Judge will end up playing most of the season. But he's not swinging a bat. Talk to me once he swings a bat. You know he's got to not only swing the bat, then he's got to get into game shape and stuff like that. So I'm just not going to pencil him in as a starter until it happens. And then by then, the way the Yankees are going, plus they're old. Who knows? Somebody else might be down. Um, man, I've got <laughs> a lot of talk. My goodness, because I love this guy. I do. Uh, and if I can, if I could, uh, another big argument against the platoon, this man is an elite defender. You know, he's in the 95th percentile of outs above average. So he's doing his thing out there. That's what keeps you on the field, uh, particularly with the Yankees. You know, they like a little bit of defense. Uh, man, what do I love about Talkman besides everything. So, of course, we know the porch, the short porch in Yankee Stadium has the highest right field directional home run park factor, right? Talkman complements that well. He has nearly doubled his pull rate over the last three years from 17. Now it's up over 30. Don't get me wrong, 30 is not like crazy. But when you have that porch giving you the boost and he hits it hard when he gets it there, it's a big deal. So I see a guy who not only plays elite defense, but also his swing and profile, his kind of batted ball profile fits that park if we're going to be playing at home. Um, I did a bit of a write-up for him for the athletic because he was one of the players I had circled uh, beyond 300, which I, you know, I love and beyond there. So as I was digging in, I, I kind of tied a bit of the Talkman success to his role, right? So remember, he was an afterthought, right? They brought him in as an afterthought. And even when the Yankees started having their injuries, it wasn't like he got penciled right in. So between opening day, as far as July, he was not playing regularly. 129 plate appearances. He only had four homers, one steal, 228 batting average. I mean, really not very good. 301 Woba, 28% hard hit rate, uh, 8% barrel rate. Not good at all. I don't think many people would have even realized when you look at the player card for last year that he was just that bad. He hit the full-time role right at the All-Star break. July 14th, I think the All-Star break was might have been the 12th, or literally might have been the 14th. So he had 160 plate appearances after that. Nine homers, five steals, 315 batting average, 977 OPS, 468 Wobicon, 37.4% hard hit rate. What am I getting at? That remember, he's a late breakout, so he's a 29-year-old. To me, that at least intuitively lends credence you know, to the argument that he needed a role every day. There's a mature young man now that when he, at the very least I could say objectively, when given the the spot, 
He was a hell of a ball player for them. And I'm not just going to, you know, subjectively from watching him. The stats were there. So he's another guy similar to Voight. It wasn't injuries. But he has these kind of like a unique split that people may have not noticed. Matt, did I sell you on Talkman at all? I was already sold on Talkman. I already said that before. I have a ton of shares over 162. I'm just – I'm always worried about investing in his area since there's other interesting names only because – the the bats are not guaranteed. You you just make all the uh, you make the points of it being an injured team. But again, if there's an injury in the outfield to judge, who's to say Stan doesn't move into the outfield and then they, you know they they let San, maybe Sanchez use some of that DH. And there's there's so many ways Andujar could go to third and uh, or, or they could put just Andujar every day in the DH for that matter if Judge is down. I mean, there's so many ways they could go. I don't know what they're gonna do. So in general, later in the draft. Um, even though you were throwing darts, I kind of like to take so me, darts with guaranteed at bats. Because I, this this helps me, but I also feel like it helps listeners. So I'm looking at the outfielders that surround Talkman. I see one that I believe you would take first. So I believe you would take Anthony Santander before Talkman, right? No. Oh, no. So then, man, that's funny. He was the name I thought I had circled. I see Nimmo, uh, Yoshi Sasugo, Aristides Aquino, Kevin Pillar, Yenis Suspedis. Do you like any of those guys more than Talkman? Uh, same one more time. I don't have them in front of me. Yeah, I mean, like uh, they're all kind of, you know, again, you were talking about plate appearances. The guys surrounding Talkman all have plate appearance uh, question marks, except for Santander, which is why I thought you were going to go him. Maybe Nimmo. You like Nimmo more than you like Talkman because it was it's Nimmo. Yeah, in a, in, a sh- in a short season, definitely. Okay, I think that's fair. I think that's fair, and I might be with you. But after that, it's Sasugo, Santander, Aquino, Talkman, Suspedis. And there I like Talkman, and it's not particularly close. I got to say, those names, I could have swore Talkman was going significantly higher than that entire group. So that also speaks to current ADP and how I uh, – Yeah, it, yeah it, it's a window, but maybe you're right. I think – you know what, Matt? Why I wanted to get this out too. I think everyone should keep in mind that the Yankees are, are, are going to be a very volatile team. And aside from the guys at the very top, like Cole and even Torres – I think that might be where their certainty ends as far as pricing. Maybe Gary Sanchez to an to an extent, but the it's going to depend what someone in the room thinks of them. Because if somebody believes that that offense and it's particularly the uh, the prime real estate at the top of that lineup is going to make all the difference, you may see Talkman go a hundred picks earlier than what I'm saying, and in which case I would be off. Like what what dates are you using for uh, for NFBC? I, I just I went ahead and, and moved it to like. Where am I at? I, I went ahead and moved it to uh, to June first, just to see what people were doing literally recently. Are there and any I, drafts? What? There would have to be drafts going on. Are there. Yeah, well, it's 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 certainly a limited sample size, but I think anything before is uh, maybe un. I mean, I'd almost rather have a short sample size than an unusable data set. Uh, because, uh, like, I think the short season changes some things. I'm just saying, right now, uh, starting at 280. Uh, you have Sam Hilliard, Yoenis Cespedes, Trent Grisham, Joe Adele, AJ Pollock, Mike Yastrzemski, Brett Gardner, Anthony Santander, Cole Calhoun, Stephen Piscotty. Like those are the names in that area. That's that's where I lump him in. Okay, that's the next. Yeah, that's like the next half a tier. And there I agree with you because you name guys that I like more than I like Talkman. But that being said, I have found I have a lot of you know we're talking. I'm talking 15 team um, leagues. I've had Talkman as like my UT, and I'm very satisfied with that. You know, I, I guess I, I should have overstated it. You know, I, he's not a third outfielder for me, but he is a fifth outfielder. Yeah, I know. I like him. I definitely yeah. see the appeal, especially like I, if anything else, everyone listening to this should be walking away 
um, circling his name <laughs> and making sure that you are doing everything you can to prepare and try to see if you can get him on your squad because of that power speed that I think a lot of people don't necessarily know about. He's, he's definitely someone who flies under the radar with so many big names on this team. Uh, another name that uh, was popular last year, which, you know, he's, he's floated to the bottom of the package, Gio Urshela. He's batting ninth for this team, but I, I do like him in terms of, I think what we saw last year was actually fairly legitimate. He batted 314 with a 534 slugging, 21 home runs. Again, it's it's a it's an it's a it's a power no speed guy, but again, uh, in a very deep third base position, he is free. This is someone that you're probably not going to be holding on to really in 12 team, unless you really struck out and he's like maybe going to be in your corner infield, which is fine. But he made um, he made certain changes. Uh, he had an above average 25.3 percent line drive rate, and he limited weak contact to around 12 percent. 12, 13%, which is pretty good. Uh, and, he, and he hits the ball to, to all fields pretty pretty well as, as, as well, so which is nice. Uh, 294 expected batting average was top 8% of the league. So, you know, you look at that 314 batting average and you may think that there's some regression coming, which, you know, there certainly can be. But 294 expected, again, top 8% of the league. So it wasn't a fluke. Yeah. 349 BABIP is probably not going to continue, uh, but even with slightly regression, I, I think you're – I think you're okay with him. Uh, he's, you know, he he changed his approach last year to swing, being pretty aggressive. He swung at 42.2 percent of first pitches. He made solid contact on most of them, but his main his main change was launch angle over the past three seasons. And it's not just a simple increase or decrease. Uh, three seasons ago, he was at 9.1 degrees. He went the route of fly ball revolution and tried to go to 18.2 degrees in 2018, just doubled it. And obviously that didn't go very well. He, he you know, he had a lot of pop-ups and he was just hitting the ball a little too high. Last year, again, 9.1 degrees up to 18.2 degrees. Last season, he readjusted down to 13.6, found the sweet spot, so to speak. And, and that is pretty much what made the, the, the big difference that attack angle it raised his solid contact rate to 18 8.1 previously his high was 3.3 and he had less pop-ups less ground balls so you know a proper swing plane can do wonders and that's what i think happened to Gio Urshela. so in general like what can you kind of expect here uh if you look at the way he attacks the ball if you look at like baseball savant's player profile like where they they compare players uh, JT Romuto, Corey Seager, Charlie Blackman. There's a few interesting ones in there, but then there's also like Jordy Mercer, Travis Darno, Colin Moran. <laughs> so it, it, it's, it's, it's a mixed bag as is Gio Urshela. So it, it comes down to, he costs nothing. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's just roster dependency, which, you know, a lot of guys are, but I think the batting average is, 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 is fine. And the power is somewhat legit. The problem is with no speed and the thing we've been talking about with the guys earlier in the draft where batting average can very much fluctuate, especially in a short sample size. Does that make a guy like this who I was interested in in 162 games kind of worthless uh, in a short season or just a just a guy, as people like to say, a jag? Is he just a guy to fill in a roster because, the, you know, his his uh you know, his realm of outcomes could be tremendously different in only 50 games. Yeah. I, listen, he's definitely an interesting player, but for me, he's more like a, it's more like a scout team, like a waiver wire circle kind of deal. I mean, maybe in a 15 team, you know, I, I really, I would be okay if he was, let's say the infielder that I had on my bench, you know, so if, like, in, in a 162 in a draft champions, I would have been psyched to have him at corner infield just to oh, like, sit there and absorb some batting average and, and yeah. you know, well, yeah, you bring up a really good point that if, 
I don't know if they're going to continue these draft champions again. Maybe they will once announcements are made. Um, there's definitely some value in trying to package those late Yankees because you could you could start targeting Yankees at pick 200 with Luke Voigt and and really do some damage. You know, like where you could get the, probably the back half of that lineup and get like Voigt, Urshela, Talkman, and Andahar. You know, all like hey, minus Voigt, these guys are going 300 or later, and you definitely would get some impact. You just don't know who it's going to be. Uh, do, do you like anyone else in this lineup before we move on? Uh, uh, you know, Mike Ford, Tyler Wade. In a short season, it's it's hard. It's it's hard to to go that route. I mean, you have to be like you said. Draft champions is the only time where you can yep. really go deep. I think in a fifteen team mix that's not draft champions, like a typical depth in a twelve team, like they're they 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 will need an injury to move in, and probably a couple. Uh, yeah. Even even at that point, I don't know how much value they have. Yeah, I, I actually, it was funny. I had a ton of Mike Ford because, as I said, I had a ton of Voight, and I was making sure to package every Voight share with a Ford share in draft champions or draft and hold formats because Ford is like if free, you know, if, if Urshela is free, then Ford is forgotten. You know, you could literally get him in the six or seven hundreds, and he showed a little bit of pop. So I think if you have Voight and you're worried about injuries again, then you get Ford. You know, it makes sense. And the heart kind of threw a, a monkey wrench in that gear. So, yeah, that's what I'm saying. If you're talking about those guys, it's probably a couple of injuries, more or less, you know, rendering them fantasy irrelevant. Uh, jumping into the rotation, we don't need to speak about Garrett Cole much. Awesome. Come on, he's awesome. Yeah. I, I mean, on the Mets episode, I already said it's not even a homer thing. I, I Jacob deGrom is my SP1. It's splitting hairs at the very top. I just – Garrett Cole is the simple question of I don't know – you know, we saw what he was in Pittsburgh and then what Houston and their analytics department kind of turned him into. He's now going away from that to that short porch in Yankee Stadium. It doesn't mean he's going to be bad and it doesn't mean he's going to be not elite. It just means maybe he's not going to be SP1. He had a 40% strikeout rate, a 0.89 whip. His own teammates stole the Cy Young Award from him. He had a 17% strike swinging strikeout rate. There's nothing not to like. Uh, but, like, you know, I, I don't draft um, – starting pitchers usually in the first round unless I just happen to be at the back end of it in a points league or something, or it just depends. I'm usually going to be going hitter. Um, we talked about this in the Mets episode uh, already, but our, if, just to recap real quick, what's your general philosophy in a short season on drafting ace pitchers? Uh, and I'm talking the upper upper echelon because a lot of people are going to be pushed to the middle uh, in terms of people with shorter seasons, people with higher upside. There's there's a lot of things that'll be, uh, there'll be a very fat, top middle tier and there's still a small elite tier at the very top with like maybe five six names uh do you do you plan on dipping into that if there's redrafts yeah well there's only literally a couple of guys you know Degrom and cole Degrom, who i like more than cole we were talking about that in the last mets episode i think in a short i think in a short season you could theoretically throw verlander and scherzer and and you could depending on how you feel about them you could kind of throw a guy like clevenger yeah, in you know, there I, as a one B tier. Well, my, I will, I will give you Verlander. I keep forgetting, man. I let that groin thing bother me, and now I'm hearing he's fine. So yes, I will add in Verlander. I will not. I would not add in Clevenger. My reasoning being something we covered is the innings per start. So where Cole is good for six and a half innings per start, he's one of only you know a small handful of guys that do that. Um, Cole, Verlander, and Degrom, we should say, are guys that do that. Do you not? Would you not throw Scherzer in there? I, I'm worried about the health, man. I'm sure as I'm just worried about the health. I, I and and yeah, that's what it is. Maybe it's an ageism thing. Listen, I love Max Scherzer. I love watching work, 
And whenever I don't draft him and he's he's out there on the hill, I usually regret it. And he's a bit of a distance guy too. You know, he's usually good for more than six. He was last year, six three seven. But yeah, the 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 inning ceiling for uh, Scherzer, I think, I guess, is a little bit lower because but, of- again, we don't have to we don't have to spend much time here. They're all they're all awesome. Obviously, Degrom and and Cole are the top two. One way of saying it: the only pitchers I'm going to make exceptions for are those that I feel go longer on a per star basis that will give me, you know, anywhere between 50 and 15 and 20% more innings, which will lead to 15 to 20% more strikeouts at their accelerated rates. Okay. So I'm looking for guys with high innings per start that are also good for 11 or 12 Ks. Yeah. Uh, this, the SP two for the team, according to, according to roster resources, Masahiro Tanaka, obviously James Paxton could obviously be argued as the second pitcher. He probably will be, but uh, whatever it did, it doesn't matter. Semantics. Yeah. Uh, Tanaka had a poor season last year. A lot of it had to do with uh, his loss of a feel for a split finger, which he found towards the end. I think that was kind of a big deal. That was like a big pitch for him. And I think that he really was able to turn that around. He had a 20% swing strike rate the last two seasons last year, only on 11.2 uh, zone rate of only 35%, 27% prior. So he basically was like, he, you know, he, he wasn't getting as many whiffs. He was leaving it over the plate. And at the end of the year, he kind of felt got a, got a feel for it. Um, a lot of people had a problem getting a feel for the ball last year, which we think will change this year. So I think that he is someone that was overlooked quite a bit um, in, in drafts this season. And same thing, if I'm looking to fill out my rotation at the end, while everyone else is going for the shiny new toys, there's still plenty of those I like. Um you know, you, you probably mentioned a couple in, in the tier that you like more than him, maybe. But I think he found it at the end of the year. And I think that he is someone that could maybe load up and and give you some value, even a shortened season. Uh, if he has that split finger working, I think he can whip out, you know, any elite 50 game set. Yeah, no, I agree totally. And I think there was um, probably one extra caveat to the splitter point that you made, which is it's true. If you notice, um, they started relying more on his best pitch, you know, which is something you hear me talk about a lot. And I, I guess it's like overly intuitive, but they don't hear more people talking about it. Um, the Yankees seem to unfurl that slider more, you know, where it got up to anywhere between 30, which was kind of a, a previous high for him. And now, you know, you're seeing it, you know, on a month-for-month basis have a floor of 30 and as high as 40. You know, like I said, that slider was really good last year. Uh, 195, 236, 342 triple slash, which is like pretty incredible. When you keep in mind that's his most often thrown pitch, 245 Woba, you know, it's it's pretty great. The CSW is over 35, very close to 36, sub 34% contact rate. Love all of that stuff. He's going really late, you know, and I think he's a value for that. You know, I'm not don't get me wrong, man. I'm not I'm not reaching for him by, by any stretch. But you know, I kind of run my uh my kind of new short season metrics. And he's a distance guy, you know, He um, better than five and three quarters innings per start. You know, that puts you in not the elite echelon, but it certainly puts you near the top. I know strikeouts can be in concern. I think there's some room where they um, bounce back. And, you know, I do my quality start thing where he's known for that too. So Tanaka had six money starts last year. That's seven innings or better with one or less a run, which is you know, lives up to the name of money start. He had six of those as a 31. So that's a 20% money start rate. So that makes him a very profitable player in best ball formats. Um, so Roto, I can see people passing on him, but I think the market has discounted him enough where you're getting a pretty solid 
you know, he's a pretty solid pitcher. And then, you know, you remove those couple of Red Sox blobs last year and all the overalls start to look a little better. I'm going to, I I almost want to write an article now about the, the value of boredom. There's so many boring veterans and uh, Tanaka, boring, yeah. Tanaka yeah. and, um, and uh, Brett Gardner, a couple of great examples right here on the Yankees where in yeah. a shortened season, I think that teams, especially old school guys, I mean, there'll be people that are going to go to the tried and true people you can trust and veterans are that. And I think that that's something that could be a big difference. There'll certainly be rookies that come out of nowhere. There'll be people that come out of nowhere, like everything. It'll be, a, it'll be a weirdo season, but anyway, moving on to James Paxton. Uh, people were very high on him moving into this year because of the, uh, you know, he, he had a mixed bag in the, the season last year. He kind of moved in, uh, having a little bit of an issue giving up home runs in Seattle. He kind of brought that with him to New York, which is not a place where you want to be home or happy, but he finished the year with four straight starts of allowing just one run. Uh, and then the last year he got the last start of the year, he got pulled with the injury scare. So this year they come in, everyone is very high on him. He was going in the top 25 starting pitchers. All of a sudden, boom goes down with a, was it back injury? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, I believe so. He's, he'll be completely fine for the start of the season here. I have zero shares, will continue to have zero shares. You look at his profile, he's 121 innings, 136 innings, 160 innings, 150 innings. He won't even get close to that this year, but I don't know why, why everyone just assumes that someone gets uh, to an innings limit and then gets injured. No, they get injured at different times. If right. he gets injured like he always misses time, if he misses any time, he's worthless, and he is not proven to go through a team without miss without uh, to a season without missing time. I know I always say you're always injury prone until you're not. Just look at Jorge Soler; he had 162 games played last year. Right. But in a shortened season, I'm not going to be gambling any kind of a high draft spot. There's plenty of interesting pitchers. No offense to James Paxton, even in his area, there's other guys that are interesting enough to me for me not to bother. Uh, I can see the upside. Everyone can explain the upside to me. I won't argue against it. But his downside, perceived or not, is is just too much for me. <laughs> there's there's other people I like and uh, that I'm not worried about. So you know, thank you. Good luck to you, Big Maple. I hope you do good things in New York. Yeah, listen, I, I was excited to get him because you know the Yankees were desperate for pitching. That's real baseball. As far as fantasy goes, I was off him when draft season started because of. Man, Matt, because of everything you said, even when there was 162, there were just red flags. I don't like the accelerated uh, fly ball rate, and I didn't like the idea of pitching in that division. Then he got hurt, and I saw a couple of doctor's reports that were saying they thought um, the industry's reaction might have been overblown. It was something he was going to fully recover from. You know, It wasn't like a structural thing that would really hurt him, and it might actually be something that would benefit him. So there was a period of time when people, I think, were overreacting, and underselling him where I was owing him. And now I think his price has probably normalized. And again, I'm off him again for the same stuff you we were talking about. I mean, he, he's, he was really good. You know, he was really good. And I think if you get the max out of him, you're going to be really happy. But unfortunately, I feel like you're paying a bit of a premium. You know, the arsenal's really good. The three pitches he throws the most, uh, cutter, fastball, knuckle curve, the fastball, which is the worst pitch of the three had a 27 CSW. He also looked like he started phasing it out. It was kind of interesting because it wasn't just a single-year trend. Uh, it began in 2017, actually, trended down through 2018, and then trended down through 2019, and then, like, month to month. There was not a single month last year that he threw the fastball more than he had the month before. And that came with a spike in curveball usage, and the curveball's, like, off the hook, man. Uh, 34... CSW 
and a 178, 237, 286 triple slash 110 ISO 226 Woba. Now, I don't know how often you could throw throw the curveball. I mean, he got it up to like 30%, which I didn't even really think was sustainable, but he did it for a month or two. So I guess the James Paxton truthers maybe are, are looking for this new pitch mix that we saw particularly in the second half of last year to justify that cost. But given all the red flag types, I think I'm just going to have to pass on him and eat that loss. Yeah, I, I get the, like I said it before, I get the arguments for Paxton, but I think those analysts are thinking more with their heart than their head. There is, there are smarter gambles to take, even at his price. There just are. Um, Jay Hap is, is, or Jay Hap is going to be, that's in the pronunciation guys, by the way. It's not Jay Hap, it's Jay Hap. Like right, it's J-A-Y, right. but anyway. Um, I, you know, I said there's something to be said for boring veterans. There's nothing to be said for Jay Hap. Uh, you know, he he had a horrible season last year. He he couldn't seem to elevate or, or locate his fastball where he wanted to. He had a near five ERA, gave up a ton of home runs, 1.9 home runs per nine. Um, I think that there's a better year coming, even in a shortened season. But, well, you know, I'm not sure what his floor really is. His secondary stuff isn't great anymore. Uh, if he can get his sinker to work a little better than he did last year, he could probably even get you some innings, which I know are at a premium in a shortened year. But, uh, you know, at what cost is that going to come? I think that he's going to never be able to avoid the one bad inning or maybe that one inning that isn't great. That's going to keep him from like even keeping him very usable as even a ratios guy. So, I mean, I think best case scenario, he's like a low four ZRA, one two, five, one, three whip with a 20% or below K rate, which none of that is exciting for me enough to take even late in draft. So I just, I don't like Jay Hep. No, it kind of stinks. Uh, <laughs> just end your analysis there. That would have been perfect. That was, that was the depth of my objective analysis. He just kind of stinks. I mean, when, when you look at him year over year, it, it just seems that the best is behind him. You know, he improved from 11, 2011 to 2016. And that looks like, if you know, we were talking stocks, that looked like the definitive bottom because since then we've just seen him, you know, his skills kind of degrade and the results go with it over the past couple of years. And, you know, at age 37 for my Yankee, he just seems like more of a fill. There's not a lot of distance to be had. You're, he's more really of a five-inning guy, couple then in with low strikeouts. And I think you have to pass on him. If there's one last thing also, the Yankees bullpen is super effective they're not, you know, shy about pulling Hap. So I, I, there's not a lot to get from him. I, I really couldn't even see a reason to draft him. Uh, the last spot in the rotation, uh, Jordan Montgomery, which pisses me off for a very specific reason. Reason is that's because I really like Jonathan Lewis Saga. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, Jonathan Montgomery's fun. He had Tommy jo- fine. He had Tommy John surgery in 2018. Uh, he was always battling for a spot. You know, he, most assume he'll probably be the fifth starter going into here. Um, 12.5 swing strike 12.5% swing strike rate. He had a curveball that had a uh, 19% swing strike rate and a 45% O swing in 2017 before the Tommy John surgery and a, a very nice changeup that he kind of kept in the zone for strikes and a slider that was a swing and miss pitch. So there's there's plenty to like here. Uh I just I watch I watch um Jordan Montgomery and I watch Jonathan Losaiga and he just one looks electric and one doesn't. But I understand Lois Saga. Maybe he's, you know, 96, 97 mile an hour fastball. He gets a curveball with a 20% swinging strike rate and maybe a plus changeup. So as a lot of people think that he's maybe destined to the bullpen, I think that there's still something here for him to be a dominant starter. And in a short season, 
I wish they would just jettison Hap and let Montgomery and Lewis Saga have a run at it because yeah. the, the, their Achilles heel is going to be starting pitching. And rather than throw out a boring veteran that's going to do just enough for you to lose, why not throw some you know lightning bolts out there and see if you can catch something? Yeah, I, I didn't really expect much from Montgomery going in. When he started throwing in spring training, he looked excellent. Mm-hmm. And the team was really, really talking him up. And I think they even went so far as to say that last spot was his. Yeah. Um, I generally avoid the back of the Yankees rotation these past couple of years because it's muddy, it's messy, it's full of uncertainty, and they have shown an affinity for bullpen games. If he's healthy, I mean, Montgomery certainly validates the, the price. You know, he's almost off the board. And, man, I might even see, a, you know, a reason for making him your last bench spot in a 12-team league. Because, again, having a Yankee starter can be very valuable if you're really looking for wins and stuff. He's had some skills. But, of course, remember, everybody, we're talking about a guy that he has, you know, 31 innings pitched in the last two years or something. You know, in the majors, he's, he's injury prone. And it shouldn't or wouldn't shock me if it happens again. Uh, Matt, you mentioned the real interesting name is um, Loisega. My buddy Jonathan is really good. I think you'll see him before the year ends. But, of course, my worry would be the usage because the Yankees just play around with these guys, and I guess they have the liberty to because the bullpen is so good. Um, to me, he's he's clearly one of the five best pitchers. I don't, don't see how he's not better than Hap. I don't know if it's a loyalty thing, a veteran thing, or maybe the Yankees are just going to keep Hap on a short leash. So maybe Luizaga fits that same category, the same description I had for Montgomery where – I could see kind of stashing this guy. Like he's like a stash worthy guy because the ceiling is really high. He's got in a, a shortened season. Doesn't it make sense to put him in the pen and a guy like Hap where you might need a long reliever? I mean, it's not like you need someone electric in the bullpen. I mean, you got you got you got a role this Chapman, Ottavino, uh, you yeah, got Chad Green, right, yeah. Zach Britton, Tommy Conley. Mainly, it, yeah, they're all really good. It's crazy. Yeah, the Yankees bullpen's excellent. You would think it would have been more of a focus for them to worry about the back end of the rotation. And it really, it just hasn't been, you know, it just hasn't been. And as a fan, you know, that's kind of been the bane for us is the starting pitching. Um, well, here, yeah. real, real quick. Uh, a lot of teams we think in a shortened season, they're going to skip out on their rookies because of the full year of service time, unless it's an absolute need enter the Yankees uh, where you, you have all these questions at the back end of the rotation. You have a guy like Davey Garcia, Oh, do yeah. we think do we think we see him? Because putting him promoting him up to be in the bullpen seems a little goofy, uh, well, especially I, with how deep their bullpen is. I draft him in TGFBI as a, because you know he really fit the perfect stash candidate, almost similar to the quick dissertation on Montgomery. It's the same idea for Garcia that if you end up with a Yankee starter, I mean that's a really good thing. And the guy like Garcia, you're going to have to jump the market because once the announcement is made, his price is going to skyrocket. Without question, you know, so I, I'm all about Garcia. Like I said, I've drafted him myself. I have stashed him. Oh, he probably right now is better than is better than Hap, you know, and I don't know if anyone has been following this guy. This is a, a, a big strikeout player. You know, he's had stops in the double A's where I mean, geez, just to rattle him off. I know some of them are small samples, 30 innings, 40 innings, 30 innings, but 38 percent case, 38, 38, 41, 45. You know, those are off the page. So. I, I hope you see him. I mean, I hope it's not because they need to because guys are dropping like flies. I hope you see him because he gets his, you know, he gets recognized. And I hope the Yankees are not worried about service time. Yeah, you never know how they'll. Yeah. 
You just got to be prepared. Well, one thing we said with a shortened season, the very most, there's several strategies we'll try to talk you into in, in terms of what we think will work, uh, what we think is interesting and where we think hidden value is. But the most important thing is to be able to pull a trigger on making moves and be aggressive. You don't, that doesn't mean cutting uh, slumping stars, but in terms of anyone on the back end, you literally have to almost reserve the back third possibly like extend it to almost your back third, if not at least your back quarter of your roster to, all right, we're going to interchange names out there. If I'm interested, if it looks like something's going to be a big thing, if you see something metrically or in scouting, you think of a player who's performing well, you got to make those changes fast. And at the back end of this rotation, that's a big thing. If you think there's going to be a change or an opening or someone's performing, you just got to make your move, especially in a short season. Uh, I don't know what there is to see here, but you could literally in a, in a, in a holds league, you probably can own the entire bullpen. Um, but let's just say from a, you know, you're in a typical saves only uh, in a shortened season, who are you interested in owning outside of a world Chapman? Wow. That is a really tough question, Matt. So in fact, it's so tough. Um, when I do all my draft and holds, I, the answer to that question is so hard for me that it has pushed me away from Chapman because when I'm drafting, I, I'm looking for guys that have a single player to complement them with that hopefully locks up all the saves. I could not tell you with any degree of certainty who gets the save opportunities in New York if Chapman goes down. Britain has experience, certainly. But Adovino might have the best stuff. I think you answered your own question. I think if Chapman went down, I think it's those two splitting the role as a righty lefty, probably just by default where they will be, they will be each other's setup, man. And it'll depend on who comes up when. Oh, maybe, maybe. But then that really, you know, see, it might, it might just be me. I tend to get kind of anxious and nervous around uncertainty. And I just say, all right, if I can get it somewhere else, I'd rather go shopping. Somewhere. And not to mention if you, even if you doubled up on Adovino in Britain, Tommy Conley will just bump, pump his head in like, hi. <laughs> yeah. He's I mean, he's excellent too. Green's and- excellent. Yeah, he's yeah. I know, I know, I know that. Listen, I'm not complaining because you know I love the bullpen, man. I love that Yankees bullpen, and as a habitual first five innings better, I would make the exception for the Yankees because that combination of bullpen and offense. But for fantasy, it's a very tough bullpen to navigate. I don't mean to discount the value of of Chapman. You know, he's one of the few guys that I think you can draft really early because the role and the context is very secure. Yeah, but uh, yeah, the, in a shortened season, I agree. It's all great if it's if it's a if it's a saves it's a, a saves plus holds. Which again, if you can make alterations to leagues and you can vote on things, one of the main things I would do is change saves to saves plus holds. It's it's definitely saves are going to be such so up in the air and such a coin flip and literally a coin flip. Uh, you don't know how different teams are going to handle these, and it'll it'll basically come down to luck and not skill in the end for these. So, you know, do what you can there. But uh, that's the entire New York Yankees. They're it's a very stacked team, especially on offense. And uh, you know, the the main thing will come down to uh, the back end of the rotation and what they end up wanting to do there, and then injuries. You know, I mean, who's going to be healthy? Who's going to be actually on the field? Uh, so, uh, John, any closing thoughts on your team you want to tell everyone about? And then, uh, like always, tell everyone they can chase you down if they want to talk about the Yankees. No, I listen. I think I'm very excited because I think the Yankees are a World Series contender. You know, right right off the bat, they shouldn't have to add much. They should just have to stay healthy and do what we expect, and they should be there at the end. And I will not celebrate it any less if it's 48 games. If they are terrible and don't make the playoffs, I will complain that the season was unfair. So there you have it. Um, <laughs> I, have, 
I have baseball stuff up at The Athletic right now, and the Twitter machine is starting to rock and roll again. Get at me, MLB Moving Averages, anytime. All right, you can follow me on Twitter at Matt Williams, M-A-T-T-W-I-7-7-I-M-S. Make sure to follow the show at Turn 2 Podcast. Rate and review the show. We love hearing from you. Good, bad, indifferent. We, <laughs> if you're indifferent, I don't know why you'd go out of your way to leave a review. But, uh, yeah, we want to hear feedback. We want to know what you like, didn't like. want to hear more of, less of. So, uh, hopefully you enjoyed this breakdown of the New York Yankees. Uh, hopefully we get a definitive answer on uh, what the season is and what the parameters would be. Obviously, if there's a mandated year uh, with no agreement, that means there'll actually be no DH. So that'll change a lot of the stuff we've been talking about recently. Uh, so we'll be back next show, breaking down the Oakland Athletics. So um, thank you for listening to Turn 2 Podcast. We'll be back next time. See everybody. My, oh my. Put me in, coach. I'm ready to play fantasy. I know I turn two in a day, but the laces ain't hot in my veins. I can turn two in every way, so I turn to you two today and smash play. I'm prepared to listen. The X flipping whip got me looking way past the pitches. Statistics all that I know, and I know that who is on first, he can say I'm ready to go. <laughs> I ain't trying to steal second or third. Cause I wanna win first How am I to put all of these numbers to words I know the terms from A to Z It's like a gift and a curse I know the difference between a splitter and a curve But if I can't put it in the points Man, then what's it worth? I need the truth I need knowledge Found this podcast with all of it But what they call it? Turn two Turn two, what it do? Win leaps Catch out Peace